Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm with co-host Patricia Glover-Howard. Hi, Patricia. Good evening, Bernice. Good evening, Tedder. Good evening. So Patricia will monitor the chat room and summarize your comments. So I'm so glad that she's in the chat room with us tonight. And a special welcome to the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show is about the greatest genealogical moments with Mm. my special guest, Scott Fisher. Scott is a Connecticut native, has been in radio since his youth, and he has spent three decades of spare time as a passionate roots salute. Oh, I love that. A longtime morning radio show host in major U.S. urban markets, he is the author of New York City Methodist Marriages from 1785 to 1893. He has also been published in the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society Journal and Catholic Ancestor Journal of the Catholic Family History Society of England. His 10 books, can you imagine 10 books, everybody? His 10 books on families of both his and his wife's ancestors, written over 25 years, fill the better part of a shelf in the Fisher Family Room Library. So let me give a warm welcome to Scott Fisher to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Bernice. Hello, Patricia. It is just an honor to be on the show with you today. Well, it's an honor to have you, and we're going to have some fun tonight, right? Oh, absolutely. There's, what isn't fun about family history? You know, from, from the absolute jewels, the people you could admire and say, I want to model my life after that person, or the other ones who are the absolute scoundrels that just make your jaw drop and sometimes you even have to laugh. 
Uh, you're right about that most definitely. So the topic is the greatest genealogical moments. But before we get into your greatest moments, let's begin with your beginning. So what motivated okay. you to get involved in genealogical research? Well, uh, you know, I kind of had a rough time growing up because uh, I, I grew up in Connecticut. And by the time I was 21, I had lost all four of my grandparents. I'd lost two uncles. I lost a brother. And when I turned 17, my senior year in high school, I lost my dad. And, uh, and, and by the time I got married, about eight or nine years later, uh, and I started having family of my own, it was like, wait a minute, who were those people who were in my life? I, I wanted to know more about them. And so I'd start to ask my mom and my aunts and my uncles and uh, everything that I could gather about them. And pretty soon I was on my way, and it was exciting to me. It was really fulfilling to get that taproot into the family line, and I could start telling my own kids about their ancestors and things that they didn't know about them. Oh, yes, and, you know, it's unfortunately you experience all of those losses. But if that's what motivated you to start really trying to figure out who they were, I think that's a good beginning then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, everybody's motivated by different things, but uh, yes. in this case, there, it was a hole in my life, you know, a big hole in my life, and, and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to extend beyond what I was just building with my own wife at that point, you know. Right, and probably a lot of people, that's kind of what motivates them because they have this whole something that's missing, and they want to try yeah. to fill in the blanks to make sense out of it. I can, you know, I can definitely understand that as well as relate to that. So, sure, let's talk about some of those moments in in your life. Uh, those great genealogical moments. And by the way, Chatters, we're going to be asking you to do the same thing. We want you to share your dialogue and kind of what's happening with you with your genealogy. So, Scott, let's start with you. All right. I'll start with a kind of an old-fashioned type of uh, effort to, to locate people because, you know, there are not a lot of folks right now who are into this who did it before the Internet. <laughs> but I know you did, Bernice, and I certainly did. And it, it took Definitely. a lot of effort in those days because, because you, would have to, you would have to try to track down descendants using microfilm. And uh, anybody remember directory assistance? <laughs> you'd have to call 411 <laughs> yes. and somebody would get on the line and you say, look, I'm trying to find so-and-so in this particular city. And then they would give you the phone number and you'd call them up and, and, and you'd get somebody. So I went on this uh, amazing journey at one point. I, when I started my, my research in 1981, I got back fairly quickly to a second great grandfather. And then I was stuck there for eight years. And I came to the conclusion that I had looked under every rock that could possibly be because, you know, Bernice, there can't be any others that I'm not seeing, right? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally I reached a decision. I thought, okay, this guy, he was the immigrant. We're going to have to find – I just wanted to know what happened to the rest of the family, the other descendants. You know, what? he had this dream of coming to this country. He did his thing, and uh, what did these other people do? So I started to – pull down the descendants of each of his children one by one. I'd go to census records, and then I'd try to find obituaries. And uh, eventually, 
I, I got stuck on one particular line. I, I kind of figured that there might be somebody out somewhere out there who had been a World War II vet. I wanted to try to find him. I called my United States senator's office and said, you know, when you guys go to try to find somebody to give them like a medal from World War II and you hadn't been able, how do you find those people? Oh, well, we have our ways and blah, blah, blah. So, so I told this guy what I was trying to do, that I was trying to get in touch with this person and tie in some family history. And he said, well, I'm not supposed to do this. But he went to town and found this guy living in California. And we had a great conversation. And he had a couple of great photographs and the like. And he said, oh, by the way, did you know that Cousin Helen's still living? And I, this was one of the names on my downward chart here. And this woman would have been in her 90s. And I, I was shocked to hear that. And he sent me in her direction. And a couple of months later, I met her in Minnesota. And her son, who she took care of, he had uh, a chronic back uh, issue. He'd been a, a high school track coach and a couple of uh, grand, uh, grandchildren. And so I went and visited them, and they pulled out a copy of the family Bible record that they'd received in the 1950s, the 19th century Fisher photo album that had pictures of all the siblings except for my great-grandfather, and a framed portrait of my second great-grandfather, the immigrant, from about the time he passed away in 1875, which they gave to me. So I came back on the plane with this old-timey portrait and uh, this old photo album from the, uh, the 19th century. They even wanted to help me fund a, a macro lens so I could take pictures and make copies of these to share with other descendants because back then, of course, there was no way to share them online. So as I would find people, I'd say, I'd, I have a photo relating to your ancestors. I'd send them copies of these things, all because of these kind people that I was able to find in Minnesota, and that was a major win for me at that time. And, you know, when you have those experiences, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the first one's free. <laughs> oh, yes, but just to think, I mean, you call to ask somebody, you know, how do you go about finding people that give medals? And my goodness, look what you ended up with. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you know, you you, you got to use your charm, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the person seemed interested in what he says, well, I know what you're doing. I know you're doing a good thing here. So, you know, this United States senator's office, yeah, he passed the phone number on to me and off we went. And, and I will tell you the finish to that story is that uh, gentleman, I got to meet the, the first one in California who sent me on to the Minnesota people. I got to meet him in 1991. He shared a few photographs uh, with me, which were incredible. And then we stayed in touch over the years, and he'd always, he called himself a friendly curmudgeon, which was about, <laughs> about right, and, uh, it, because he was friendly, but he wasn't really open to sharing a lot of things or give me, giving me a lot of his time. And in 2014, I hadn't heard from him in a while, and I thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, and I went online, and I found that he had passed away. And so uh, I thought, oh, no, now this guy, he had no wife, he had no siblings, he had no children. And uh, he had been in movies, he'd been a, a teacher at UCLA, a writing teacher. And I thought, oh, no, what happened to all the things he kept that he never showed me? What did I not, what did I not see? Well, in the funeral mm -hmm. notice, it was mentioned that one of his colleagues from UCLA had uh, thrown a, 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 a memorial for him among his colleagues. And as she established this thing, her name and phone number was at the bottom of the, the death notice from 
2013. So this is now 2014. So I called this lady, and I, I told her my name, and I said, look, I'm, I'm a cousin of this, uh, this Tom. And, and she says, yes, well, what can I do for you? I said, well, I said, uh, we've been in touch over the years, and he had some family history items. And she goes, yes. And I said, and I was trying to see, yes, I have it all right here. It's in a box. It's on the floor. It's been in my way for the last year. What is your address? I will send it to you. So, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I said, now, well, let me pay for that. For, no, no, you have made my weekend, she says. So, uh, you know, I waited a little bit. A week later, you know, I just dropped her an email and said, uh, what, when should I look for this? I don't want to, you know. She says, oh, I'm still wrapping. She was wrapping each item in bubble wrap, one thing at a time. And when it finally came, I had a friend of mine who's into this also. He came over to the house, and uh, we opened the box. And it was like uh, all my Christmases, Father's Day, New Year's, all those celebrations <laughs> wrapped up in one. There were, uh, I want to say, nine daguerreotypes relating to the family in the 1850s. There were more uh, photographs, tin types. And there was a contract in there between my great-grandfather and his brother that both had signed in 1888, having to do with the family uh, business in New York City at that time. And then I, I opened up an envelope, and there were the family Bible pages from the 1840s. And I just about fell over at that point. It was just absolutely unbelievable. So staying in touch with these people over time, I think – Bernice, I think we, we have lost a little through doing everything online where, oh, you post it, you share it, somebody sees it, they grab it. You have no relationship with those people. You have nothing to communicate with them about. And so those relationships don't get built as easily. And sometimes we're, we're letting some, some things slip through our fingers that we could be able to not only obtain for ourselves, but obtain to make copies of or images of that we can share for everybody forevermore even if the original item ultimately is lost or destroyed. You're so right. Well, you know, when you were sharing your story, I can tell you of an experience I had. It was about a year and a half ago, and I went over to uh, some cousins at home, and they said, well, you, you, we know you're in genealogy, so why don't you look in this box? And, you know, <laughs> look in this box. This box belonged to our aunt. I looked in the box, and there was a picture of my father when he was in the service. And I said, that's my father. They said, they didn't know who he was. They just knew it was a picture in the box. I mean, a, 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 so those that's things somebody. happen, yeah. but you're right. You, you, you have to make those personal contacts with people. And, and right. sometimes, I mean, we're losing some, it. The, we're losing it, we're losing it, but, it, you know, if we start, sometimes we have to start by way of the Internet, but if we can take it from the Internet and actually meet the people, yes. uh, it does it does make a difference. Well, you know what? I see a comment coming from the chat room, and this is from Susan Ann Blakely, and she's saying one of my greatest genealogical moments was when I came across an article in the mid-1970s on my father's ancestors, slavery descendants to have first reunion. And that sparked the journey wow. for her. She says she didn't get into searching until about 1981. Isn't that fantastic? So, 
And you know that's Isn't true. that I mean, fantastic? The, 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 yes, and I, I do think we can get back to third, you know, third, fourth, fifth grades and have reunions of large numbers of people and celebrate the last 150 years, you know? It's fantastic. Yes, it is fantastic. Well, take us through another one of your greatest genealogical moments. Okay. Um, this was an interesting one. I was I was trying to find a guy. Uh, my, my great-grandparents, my great-great-great-grandparents in the 1850s, they didn't seem to like marriage too much. <laughs> there, were, there seemed to be some issues there. And my great-grandmother, her, her parents, uh, I, I, was, I was having some real problems uh, trying to, you know, figure out. Are you there still? Are you there? Yes, yes. Oh, there yes. we go. Okay, I thought I'd lost you for a moment. Oh, uh, no, 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 were, we're I was listening. Trying, <laughs> <laughs> no, was, my phone made a noise and went, wait a minute. Can't be gone here. Anyway, they were—they were—we uh, <laughs> were trying to find her parents from the death record of my great grandmother, and I could never find them anywhere. And so this was a real struggle I, because her parents' names were not appearing in the census records, and she, as a little girl, was not appearing in the census records. And as you know, Bernice, if they're supposed to be there, they usually are, but somehow we're missing them. The spelling is wrong, or. They're, they're just off somehow just a little bit. And so I was really baffled mm-hmm. by it. It took me a, a long time to figure this out. And so uh, my folks, my dad's side is the one that I've, I've mostly focused on because my mother's side was very well set up. And she was Swedish and Norwegian. And, and so we had all these great lines back to there. So, so for me, I had to learn to swim in the big pool of New York City. And um, so we went back to... Uh, I, I, I figured the only place I had not looked was the 1855 New York City census. And uh-huh. it was not a federal census, as you would imagine. And, and so the challenge was this had not been indexed yet, yet alone digitized. And it was on microfilm with uh, each of 22 wards. So, you know, the big cities are d- divided into wards. And so I had to figure out, okay, if I'm going to look for these folks, I might have to go through 22 wards of microfilm, full microfilm, look at each name on there. And I I looked uh, to find out, to research, how many residents were in New York City around 1855? The answer was 600,000. I'm going to have to find a a household with three three people in it out of 600,000 residents. And... uh, I was a little intimidated, but I was so frustrated by the fact that I couldn't get any further than this great-grandmother who uh, passed away in 1899 and uh, that I figured, okay, I'm going to have to make that plunge. And I'm sure many of your listeners from that same era have had to do the same thing, dig into mm-hmm. records that uh, just aren't readily available. And so, you know, I sought a little inspiration on this. I said, you know, Lord, I need a little help. And so I was looking through these 22 wards. I mean, just the list of, okay, where do I start? Do I start with number one and go straight through numerically to 22? Or am I going to grab them randomly or what am I going to do? But I, but I really felt like, all right, a number came into my head, the 11th. Great. I'll go to the 11th ward. I'll plug that in and we'll start there. And this is going to probably take months. And if I don't find them at all, it will have been three months for absolutely nothing. So I put the microfilm on the reader, 
and started to turn this thing and crank and 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 in this part of it was though that this had been water damaged these books had been water damaged so some of the ink was really faded and um, so i had to watch very carefully and you, as you know bernice you can't let your mind wander when you're going through no, a long, you can't. long list you have for to stay focused long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you you're going to miss it otherwise so i'm going through and going through 20 minutes <laughs> 20 minutes into it there they were and uh I, I was completely shocked and as a result of that i was able to find the great great grandfather who was on her death certificate from 1899 and the great great grandmother turns out he was living with my great great grandmother but was married to somebody else and as a result of that discovery i was able to plug him into his line and find out some very interesting things about these ancestors that one of him one of them had been involved in the building the first steamship with Robert Fulton and then his father-in-law wow. had been in the revolutionary <laughs> war and his father-in-law had been the engraver of the continental dollar during the revolution and is recognized uh, in the in, in the coin collecting world in fact, if I were to have one of the coins he engraved, it would probably put me back about $30,000. So I'm very happy to have a really, oh, really, so. really cheap replica. <laughs> so that was quite a breakthrough. And, uh, you know, we, we do have these serendipity moments, you know, when we go through it. But I felt like I got a little help on that one. Well, you know what, as you mentioned, this number 11 came into your head. I say, see, the ancestors were guiding you. Yeah, and I think just, so. I think those things And just happen. put sure. it there, you know, you were not going to go through 600,000 records <laughs> names to find that information. I was at the end of my line with this. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go through it. That's the last thing. And if I don't find them, I'm going to turn it over to the next generation of person whoever does this, and they can take their crack at it with my blessings, you know. Right. But, you know, that's one of the things when you talk about, you know, sitting down and staying focused and going through these microfilms because, I mean, I'm experiencing the same thing. I can't find a great-grandmother. I just cannot find her. And I'm just waiting for that moment, (laughs) you know, just like you had that number to come up. And and then she'll she'll you know reveal herself. Right now she hasn't done it, and, and but I'm still on the I'm still on the search, still trying absolutely. to find her. And you know we're seeing more things that are coming up, uh, sources that I never even imagined existed, that are starting to show up more and more now. You know, all over the place. Well, there's a comment in the chat room. Uh, Patricia is saying prayer is a genealogical strategy. Absolutely. So sometimes you just have, I have to no pray it. Doubt about it. <laughs> absolutely. You just I, have I, to I pray. am absolutely convinced they want to know they they want us to know who they are. And they're they're interested in what we're doing. There's no doubt about it. Right, because Angela's saying there's so many stories out there. The stories of our journey can be as interesting as the stories we find. But we do have yes. to we we have to go on that journey and we have to start looking. And so, you know, these are the genealogical moments I think that inspires others to hear what you have to say and do it too. Because I mean, your first your first genealogical moment that was a moment, <laughs> and this one is too. 
But we're yeah, going to absolutely. take a quick, quick break and come right okay. back. We're going to just listen to a little Sweet Mellow Spice for a minute, okay? Sounds good to me. back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Scott Fisher share his greatest genealogical moments. And chatters, we want to hear from you, too. So please share your greatest genealogical moments, and as they come up, I'll share them with everybody. So, Scott, take us through another of your greatest genealogical moments. Uh, you know, isn't this like sharing your favorite children? <laughs> yes, you know? it is. It I is. Mean, every one of them you go, how could this one top that one, or how could this one? I had a big problem. You know, I was telling you about my, some of my ancestors who had this aversion to marriage. And uh, one of them was a, a great-grandfather who uh, he, had, uh, he had been married early, adopted a daughter, and then he took up with my great-grandmother. Couldn't marry her because it was uh, unfortunate she was already married to somebody else. But they became, they lived as man and wife. And then he had a thing with another young gal for many years and had a child with her. And then he died, and it turned into a big battle for his will, and it was uh, at least I got all my questions answered in the New York City newspaper headlines. That was kind mm-hmm. of fun, but because of all of this scandal surrounding him, I could never find a photograph of him anywhere. Nobody among all the descendants had a picture of this great-grandfather, and it was kind of a hole in my line because I did have one for, of his father, and so I, wa- I really desperately wanted to do this. And for over 29 years, I had looked. Well, as my research continued and, and digitized newspapers came online, I learned something new about him that I hadn't known before, and that is that he had been a New York City veteran fireman. That in the 1850s, he was a volunteer, one of those guys who literally would pull the, uh, the, the firefighting apparatus to wherever it had to go and often fight the other fire companies. 
And so in the 1880s, uh, they, these guys put together uh, kind of a, a club of veteran firefighters, and they had a clubhouse in New York City with all this memorabilia from their glory days. And they would take trips together, usually within the, uh, the New England corridor there, and be hosted by other uh, firefighters from those towns. So one, one day they decided they were going to think a little bigger, and they decided that they were going to take a trip from New York to San Francisco and back in September of 1887 by train. This is really ambitious, you know, because the, the continent had only opened up about 20 years before that, and they wanted to see the rest of the country. And these guys mostly were older. They were in their, anywhere from their 50s to their 70s. And uh, as I learned about this, I thought, well, this will be fun to, through these digitized newspapers, to kind of take the journey with them and see what they experienced in each of these towns. And so I, I started a collection of all the articles I could find about each of these different cities that they had visited. And they stopped in uh, Chicago and Kansas City and Omaha, Nebraska. And then I learned they, they actually had stopped in Salt Lake City, where I currently live. And I thought, well, look at this. They, they marched right down through downtown Salt Lake City, and, and here, here's my dad's grandfather marching right past the, uh, the tailor shop of my mother's great-grandfather, who was from Norway. <laughs> Talk about a, a very odd moment in time when that took place. So as I was researching the stories about this trip, I found an article that said Mr. A.J. Fisher of New York City, one of the recent veteran firemen who visited us in Salt Lake City, sent a full-body photograph of himself to Mr. Jacob Alt, who had been uh, a saloon keeper. And since uh, my Andrew, I, I knew well, he died of cirrhosis of the liver, so that tells you a little something about him. And uh, so he had been well entertained by this guy who had been a former New York fireman himself who had moved west. So... Uh, as it turned out, I thought, well, he sent a picture of himself here. So I started to see if I could track down descendants of this saloon keeper. And it turns out it was a guy I knew 30 years ago. He had a lot of uh, this guy's stuff. He did not have that photograph, unfortunately. But I kept looking, and somebody said, well, you know, uh, up on the hill east of Salt Lake City is a park that commemorates the Mormon pioneers coming in 1847, and they recreated old Salt Lake City, and one of the buildings there, you know, they'd have, uh, for instance, for the butcher shop, and they would have the blacksmith shop, and so people could kind of see what the old West was like. One of the buildings they recreated was the old Fireman's Hall from uh, Salt Lake City. Well, apparently the New York firemen, when they would come through these towns, would later send a full photograph of the group to these uh, different, uh, different towns and the, and the firefighters who had hosted them. So on this wall, inside this recreated fireman's hall, I found an 1887 group photo of the New York veteran firemen who came through. And at the very bottom of it was a large piece of cardstock. And on the stock were, were numbers. And after each number was a name. And when I looked up on it, I saw there was a little tiny number written in white on the shoulder of each individual of the 104 firemen who were on that trip. So I found a picture of my New York City great-grandfather hanging on a windswept hillside in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I live. Is that strange? Wow. <laughs> but it gets better. 
because there had been another group shot of the same group. Uh, they had gone to uh, Grover Cleveland's inauguration in 1885. So they'd made another group of this. And there was a, an antique store in Massachusetts that was selling an original of this on behalf of some client on consignment. And it was not marked with any identity of who anybody was. And I had found these people previously, and they said, well, we'll see if we could get permission from the owner to open up the back and see if there was a key, but they hadn't gotten around to it. Well, when I was able to get this photograph identified of my great-grandfather, I contacted them again and said, hey, no permission necessary. I'm emailing you a, a copy of this photo that I just found. See if you can find him on that picture. And if you'd be so kind, have your photographer who puts together, uh, you, you know, your listings for online sales, see if he would take a nice close-up of that for me. And sure enough, they found him in the middle of that picture as well. So now I had two of him. And then uh, a couple of years later, now that was in 2011. And then in, in 2013, I met a descendant of uh, the little girl that my great-grandfather had from his young lover. We visited him uh, in uh, Connecticut, and nicest guy in the world, and we really hit it off, and, and to this day, we have a great relationship. I'll go back uh, east, and he'll take me out on his boats in Long Island Sound periodically, so, you know, it's a lot of fun. But he was pulling out some things when we were visiting there. Once again, here's people who have things in their own homes, nothing's online. These, this is where the real gold is, if you can track down the other descendants. But this guy had uh, a pocket watch that my somewhat well-off great-grandfather had given to his young lover. It had her name engraved on it, and this cousin of mine had never been able to open the watch, but my wife had really good nails. She pried it open, and wouldn't you know, on the face of the watch that my great-grandfather had given to this, this uh, gal was a little face, and as we looked at the face and blew it up with a picture just, just to see because it was very tiny. It was a third photo of Andrew Jackson Fisher, my great-grandfather. So because of the first one on the hillside, I now have three pictures of him, and there's not one that still exists in the, from within the family today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> a moment. Takes your breath my. away, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> yes, it's oh my goodness. Well, we have some some moments being shared in the chat room and I've received one from uh Kanika Marshall. And Kanika said the greatest moment happened in January 2017. So it's of course it's recent. After wow. trying for fresh. 40 years to find something important about my family roots. I found my enslaved second great-grandfather, Ota Williams, slave master and parents in Beaver Creek, Washington County, Maryland. Both finds were not what I had expected at all, thus making the find that much more sweet for my book. I am writing about Ota's life. And this came from Kanika Marshall. So, I mean, congratulations, Kanika, that you were able to do that. Wow. And we have another one. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think, you know, it's it's just incredible right now that the the advancements we're seeing in African-American research. 
and it's so exciting to see so many so many more people now getting involved in it and finding things like Kanika just did. That's just incredible. It is incredible, and I mean, after forty years, I mean, that's a long years. time to be searching. Yes, yep. and she found it. And so and then we have joy, another you know, one. When somebody finds when somebody finds something like that, you know, it, once you find it, you've got it forever. It never goes away. It's a, it's one of those rare possessions you cannot lose. You cannot lose. You're absolutely right. Well, Angela Walton Raji. Uh, also has a great genealogical moment. She says she, um, one of her greatest moments was finding my grandfather and great-grandparents on the Dawes Road in the Choctaw Nation. I learned that my great-grandmother Sally, whom I knew as a child, was born a slave of a Choctaw Indian. Wow. Wow. Amazing. No kidding. It is amazing. <laughs> I'll tell you what. The well, stories that, the they, stories look, they're coming. coming this, I'm getting this, them. Okay. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> so keep here's them going. another keep one. Them coming. Here's another one. Okay, this is from Leonard Smith. He said, "One of my greatest genealogical moments was finding my second great grandfather was the company cook for the Louisiana Third Native Guard." He purchased 40 acres with three others in 1870, donated the land to have a school built in 1878, and was elected to the police jury in 1878. Wow. Wow, that's that's detailed, though. And you know that this is the thing for people listening who are just starting out right now, and you know, you're hearing some of these wowie stories, and, and you think, well, that couldn't happen to me. I'll tell you what, I don't care what your background is or where you're from or whatever, those stories will happen to you if you work at it hard enough and long enough. That's right, and they definitely will happen. Uh, and so, and it's one of the things to have people just share that because it does inspire other people. And, you know, just as you share some of your stories, well, share another one with us. Motivate us. Get us going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, first of all, I I do want to say I feel a little guilty here. I mean, this is just a a plethora of riches here, you know. Um, Okay, here's another one. I had, uh, for 30 years, I was stuck on on a third-grade-grandparent set. And I was even beginning to question whether I was just misreading the handwriting, the death certificate of a great-great-grandmother. You know, it named her parents, Samuel Downs and Olive. And I had always looked for these people, and they didn't appear anywhere in New York. And uh, it was a very strange thing that happened one day. And, uh, you know, I, do you remember, Bernice, when uh, New Family Search came along for a while, and a lot of people were – we're starting to mess around with the wiki model back then. It, it wasn't going very well early on. It's so much better right now, and it's a, it's a great asset because, of course, family search is free. But at that time, somebody got in and, and added this third great-grandfather of mine to a family in upstate New York, and I just kind of rolled my eyes, and I'm thinking, now, why would they do that? Based on what? And so I reached out to this person, and dropped him a note. And I said, now, why did you put Samuel Downs in that particular family? And she wrote back and said, oh, it just felt like he belonged there. 
Oh, boy. Okay. So I just kind of ignored it and figured, all right, well, it's been a long time since I have looked for this guy. Uh, I'll take another crack at it. I mean, I'd been stuck on him for 30 years. So now that the digitized newspapers were coming out, by the way, I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, must have New York ancestry. They need to know about the website for New York newspapers that is incredible. It is bigger than the newspaper collection that the Library of Congress puts out, and it's by one guy who has done it. It's like 37 million pages right now. It's called FultonHistory.com. If you have New York ancestry, do not miss this. And uh, I want to make sure that that's absolutely correct. I'm going to pull it up on my own computer right now. But uh, I went to that site. Yeah, it is FultonHistory.com, and it's it's not a real uh, easy uh, website to get around, but it's got so much material in it, you do not want to miss out on that. So anybody who has New York ancestry, FultonHistory.com is a key place to go. So I went there, and I found an obituary from 1861 from a man who was about the right age to have been the father of my second great-grandmother, this Samuel Downs that I was looking for. And I thought, well, okay, that's a a lead. And I figured, okay, if I can find his burial record and he's buried with a woman named Olive, then I can assume that I found the right person. So uh, I I, I found the burial record. I called the cemetery over in Brooklyn. And this lovely lady with this fantastic Brooklyn accent, uh, you know, got on the line. And I, I turned on the charm. I wanted her to look that up. And she she pulled out the records on that particular grave, and I said, uh, is there an olive buried with him? And she says, no, there's not. And I said, uh, <laughs> is, but is there anybody else? She says, yes, there is. is. Does the name Lizzie Moore mean anything to you? And I said, well, it might, <laughs> because my, my gra- I loved her accent, and she was such a sweet lady. You know, that's the thing about folks who are in, dealing this. They are nice people, and they're often very willing to go the extra mile to help you out. And uh, so yeah. Lizzie Moore, the name Moore may, meant something to me. It's a very common name, as you know. It's a very Irish name. My great-grandmother Fisher had originally been married to a man named William Moore. And I thought, well, I'm not aware that she had a little girl named Lizzie. But sure enough, I went back to FultonHistory.com, found her obituary, and it named her parents. William and Jane Moore. And I went, my goodness. So the, the one identified the other, and the other identified him back, basically. Because here's uh-huh. Samuel Downs, married with my great-grandmother's daughter. So now I knew I had the right guy. And I started trying to figure out, now, where does a guy born in this? You know, I had his age down to the month. Took it back to Carmel, New York. And guess what? He fit right back into the family that lady had plugged him into in the first place, saying she thought he belonged there. And uh, as a result of that connection, I eventually found the marriage record in a New York uh, digitized newspaper again, but nowhere else, of their marriage. And then that particular line shot all the way back to the Mayflower. And uh, 30 years to find him, and it went back all those generations additionally and all that new history that was so fascinating to me. Right. And here you're talking 30 years, and some people are saying 40 years. 
So you yeah. basically you're saying this is not instant. I mean, one of the things that no. we certainly learn in genealogical research is there's no such thing as an instant fix. You're not going to get it to think about no, it today I, 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 and there we, it is tomorrow. We get more of that today than we've ever had before. But still, at the end of the day, if, if you're really going to have these incredible finds that nobody else gets, you don't just copy names from somebody else's tree and put it in yours. You know, you have to get the dirt under your fingernails and, and really work this thing. And you're going to have, and I don't care what your line is, where you're from, what your background is, what part of the country or what, what area we're talking about. There are people every day of, of every race, color, creed, religious background, cultural background that are making finds that, make, that, that change lives, really. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know what? When we talk about these uh, greatest genealogical moments, we have another one coming up in the chat room, and this is from Stephanie Martin. And she's saying that one of my greatest genealogical moments was finding my great-great-grandfather, William Self, and Robert Anderson, Addison, on the inventory of the estate of the family that enslaved them. Wow. Congratulations, Stephanie. I know this was something that else. That is a great find. That is a great find. That is a great find. You know, not coming from an African-American background, I cannot imagine the emotion of seeing uh, the name of your ancestor on a record like that. Uh, there's got to be all kinds of additional feelings that come from it. You know, just as I've seen, for instance, any tragedy in my own family, uh, a great grandfather had a sister, for instance, who burned up in a fire and she survived in the, for five weeks afterwards. And it was so emotional to read that. I was in tears and she lost a little baby in it as well. And, it, you know, it was one of those things that changed the lives of the family and, and to find that record, uh, of, of an enslaved individual has to be uh, an incredible rush of excitement on the one hand, sadness on the other to see what they were going through at that time. But, you know, this is why we keep going, to find those things and, and learn what the journey not only of the individuals were, but all of us as a family and as the human family. That's right, and it and it is emotional. You know, I can tell you one of my greatest genealogical moments. It happened when I met my Kemp cousins for the first time in Edgefield, South Carolina. Now, I knew that my grandmother's maiden name was Kemp, but I never knew any living relatives with that surname until I began uh, a journey to find my South Carolina kinfolks in 2004. Now, we also, once I met those cousins, we also connected with the slave owner descendant of our family. Oh. And was able to, yes, and was able to, to research back to our three times great-grandparents, Sam, and Patience. And so I can tell you it was an extremely emotional uh, event. And, 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 and reality actually hit me because, you know, I, being an African-American, I just knew that I had enslaved ancestors, but I'd never found them. But when you find sure. them, I mean, that's, that's your yeah. reality, and you go through all kinds of emotional reactions by finding them on an inventory listed with the furniture and what have you. It is, yeah, it is yeah. it's, very it's, emotional. It's hard, to, 
it's hard to get your brain around that in this day and age. It's like, really? And yet it's yes. still happening in places around the world to this day. It's it's which, unbelievable. Yes, which is unbelievable, just unbelievable. But, you know, it is a journey that we we can all go through. We can all find what we're looking for, but it doesn't happen overnight. It it is no, a journey that's right. that but it's it's one of those journeys I think once we go go through it, we rejoice, we share, we tell the story. And it's like the ancestors are waiting for you. It's like, when are you going to tell my story? And so this gives us an opportunity to to tell what we need to share about them. Patricia, I know you've been working in the chat room. Tell us kind of what's your greatest genealogical moment. Oh, wow. I've been, like you said, yeah, I've been listening to, to Scott talk about his moments and you share yours and, and the chatter sharing theirs. I would actually have to say uh, I was looking for, I was doing some research on my mother's side of the family and had uh, come against a brick wall. And so I said, okay, well, let me, let me find out more about my dad. Now, my dad was 50 years older than me, and he's been gone for about 20 years. And there's a, there's a long story behind it, but I won't go into it. But at any rate, I Googled my dad. And my, my dad, his name is Floyd Blakey, and he lives in Yankton, South Dakota. And I knew for a fact there weren't too many African-American men with that name living in South Dakota. And in one instant, I found, uh, I found him on Find a Grave. And uh, actually, my cousin that put the information on on that uh, on that website is is in the chat room today. Uh, her name is Susan, oh. and so yeah, so she she's traced our family all the way back to the slave owners. And so uh, again, now now call it beginner's luck, if you will, but at any rate, just like that, <laughs> I had traced <laughs> I had traced back my my. Um, my my dad's people. What I learned though was even more amazing because it was at a time that I was I was searching for myself, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Had kind of put it aside and was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Uh, what I learned was my uh, great grandfather Isaac Blakey was a slave, so he came over here as a slave at the age of ten, I believe it was. He uh, he ran away, joined the military, fought for the Union. Uh, he was injured in a bayonet in a, in a couple of years. He went back to the plantation and got his family. And, uh, and uh, there were some other siblings. I think his mom was sold to some other relatives. He went to that plantation as well, and then they all ended up moving west. Uh, I found in in those in the census that in the 1800s they owned uh, farms, they owned land, uh, and and I also learned that my my great grandfather Isaac he owned a farm, he had a hunting guide service, he had a dog catching service, and uh, it was also um, they also said that Clark Gable was among his clients during pheasant hunting season. So. What I learned that I wasn't someone who was trying to be an entrepreneur. 
uh, entrepreneurship was already in me. It was in my DNA. So it confirmed <laughs> who I was and, and where I was. But but that was just the tip of the iceberg because I had also taken my my uh, my uh, DNA test, a 23andMe test. And as soon as I had done that, Bernice had reached out to me. So I don't know if you do remember, Scott, I was the one sitting with you at the Rootstech conference with Bernice. Yes. And uh, we, we are cousins. And so we haven't been able to figure that out. Um, but um, Bernice, she, she called me. She, uh, she emailed me uh, at least two or three times. Uh, she also uh, uh, went to another cousin that I had met right after I met, uh, talked to Susan, and uh, confirmed our relationship. And it's, uh, we, and here I am today. So it's just, it's Isn't been that amazing. Great? It's, and it's only well, been, it's been less than a year. All of this has happened in less than a year. Well, and that's right. And, you know, you say, uh, you call it beginner's luck. I think, you you know, when somebody, you don't get any luck if you don't get started. <laughs> go from there. And, well, that's true. And, you and, really and, don't. You right. have to start and, somewhere. And the other thing is, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is the answer to everybody coming back together. You know, the divisions that we're facing in our country right now. You know, when, when we volunteer and we're all working on, on each other's families to find material that we can all post online and share. We're learning about one another and learning about each other's ancestors and learning about our families and finding how much we all have in common. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's really a big part of the answer, ultimately. That's right. Yeah. It really is. Uh, you 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 just said it. You yeah. know, I see Linda Bug Sims just put in her greatest uh, genealogical moment, and she said her greatest find was finding her second and third great grandparents, the second great grandmother, and her parents were listed in the inventory of the slave owner, and she has their picture. Wow! Wow, Linda. <laughs> They must have lived a good long life. Oh, wow! You know, I'm just really happy that the the chatters are sharing, and Scott, you have shared with us your greatest genealogical moments. Do you have another moment before we close out tonight? Oh, I, I yeah, I I think we can. <laughs> you know, you do it long <laughs> enough, you start to collect your own top ten list, and. Then you try to figure out, how do I put these in order? But um, I had been working my great-great-grandfather's line for about eight years. I'd mentioned that where I kind of got stuck and decided to track down the descendants to see what had happened to the, the uh, other family members. And that's where it led to the man in California and the batch in Minnesota and then ultimately the, the Bible records coming in. Well, another branch showed up as a result of that effort. And uh, it, it was a second cousin of my dad's. And he had joined an organization in New York called the Society of Colonial Wars, among other organizations. And so the applications for this group, they were all microfilmed. And uh, they were at the Family History Library in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I went through this guy's application, and the application exposed his sources, because you really have to prove your lines to join these societies. And it, it uh, exposed the existence, first of all, the family Bible records that I own now. Uh, he mentioned them in this 1922 application. But he also mentioned 31 old papers from the family that dated to the early 19th century 
that he had as assets, and he quoted many of them directly, and he had them notarized. So I knew that they were word for word what was on these papers. And as a result of it, it uh, revealed the, uh, the hometown in Germany of my third great-grandfather. And, and it said, I was born in Sobernheim, Germany on this date and in 1768. And uh, so I, I went and got the, uh, the German microfilm out of there. And it, 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 I don't know if you've ever looked at that stuff, Bernice, but it's, it's like no, I a kindergarten scrawl. It's impossible to read. It's, you know, very strange, the old German. And so I took it up to the, the counter in the library. And this is the thing at the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. People are enormously helpful, a lot of volunteers. And there was a, a little old German lady there named Gertrude. And uh, I told her I was looking for a man named Frederick Anspake. And I said it was probably Friedrich Anspach when it was in Germany. And she popped that up on the microfilm reel and started turning it looking down her nose through these little thick glasses. And he goes, oh, yeah, it is Johann Friedrich Anspach, the born, that means born. And she gave the date, and she gave the parents and the occupation of the parents. And, and the next thing we knew, we were, we were just flying back in Germany. And uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. went back many, many generations, and it, it continues uh, to grow to this very day, but that was uh, back around 1990 as well. So I, I started having all these miraculous finds back at that time. So obviously when the, the, the uh, digitized stuff started coming out, I was running into a lot of things that I used to really have to dig to find. But uh, still, I would never trade in those experiences for, for anything uh, to have them just handed to me because I think the people who go out and really find the stuff we're the real beneficiaries of it because we get the experience uh, like the, all the things that your listeners are talking about and you and Patricia as well. These are the things that really make it. And uh, the, the rest of our descendants, they'll, they'll get the gift of it, but will they appreciate it as much as we do for all it took to find it? I'm not so sure. Right. And, you know, I know what you're talking about because uh, I'm the one in the family that's doing the research and share it with everybody, but I don't know yeah. if they feel like I feel because I know what the process was. And it's like I'm handing yeah. them, okay, here it is. They can't but I know. think we're having the they, fun. <laughs> we are having the fun. It's a great thing to do, and that's why I'm doing Extreme Genes Family History Radio now across the country. That's right. So tell, just tell the listeners about Extreme Genes. How long have you been okay, doing well, it? Okay, well, we're a syndicated radio show. Yeah, we've been syndicated since 2013, and we're on uh, 53 radio stations around the country. And you can find a list and the times uh, that are near you at ExtremeGenes.com. Just click on the upper left-hand corner of the page there, and you'll see where it says Find Us. And you might be able to find a station there. And if not, fear not, because the show becomes a podcast as soon as we're done airing it over the weekend. It's a one-hour weekly show. And uh, the podcast, very similar to yours, can be heard on iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and ExtremeGenes.com, and we release a new episode every Monday. Okay, everyone. So remember to listen to Extreme Genes. Well, we are at the end of the show. Do you have any parting words you would like to share with everyone? Absolutely. And that is never give up. There's always another source out there that you don't know about. 
And uh, when, when you start having experiences like we've been hearing about today from so many people, you'll never quit. And it's a benefit to your children. And we also know the benefits to people who, who you know, the children who know what their roots are and know the family stories. They actually thrive better in life, their ability to uh, solve problems because they know what their ancestors' problems were and how they got through those things. They even learn from the mistakes of their ancestors, and they have better lives. And it's actually been shown in research. So it's, it's a great thing to do, and it's proven for your family. Enjoy the journey. Absolutely enjoy the journey. That's right. And tell the story. Tell the story just as many many of the chatters we're doing tonight. Share that story. Share those moments. Inspire others. And so I just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And listen, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page, and also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Uh, watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith, and of course, listen to Extreme Genes with Scott Fisher. Oh yes! Also, I want to just thank everyone for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio, and for sharing your genealogical moments with us. It's always fun when the chatters get in and start sharing. Also, check out my services at BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. And I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and co-host, Patricia Glover Howard. Thank you, Patricia, for holding down things in the chat, in the chat room. Good night, everyone. Good night, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Good night, Bernice. Good night, Patricia. Good night. Good night.